if you're anything like me, you woke up this morning and you found out pretty quickly that there had been a leaked uh, draft document from the Supreme Court uh, dealing with the current uh, case, dealing with abortion that is that is before the Supreme Court. This draft, I think, was from February. The ruling, the official ruling, uh, I don't think has been officially decided yet. That will come out perhaps mid-summer, June, July, something like that. And uh, because right now we, there's a conservative majority on the Supreme Court, um, Supreme Court originalists, those who want to take the document not as a living, changing document where you can reinterpret the words of the Constitution how you wish, but those who take it in its original meaning, a grammatical, historical hermeneutic, if you will, uh, where they go back and, and take the grammar in its historical context literally and seriously. Um, there's a majority of those kind of conservative Supreme Court justices right now, and therefore um, the declaration, at least in this unofficial um, this uh, this draft that has come out clearly is is saying that uh, that Roe v. Wade uh, 50 years ago did not have constitutional uh, grounds for uh, making uh, abortion legalized across all the states. And obviously, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, which would be the most momentous political moment, I think, in my lifetime at least, um, then it would go back to the states. Uh, many states, I'm sure, will will not in any near future consider uh, overturning uh, abortion laws. California and New York, I, I don't see how that would be possible. But many states would become uh, m far more pro-life and anti-abortion in a very, very short period of time. And I hope Georgia, if this were to happen, would be one of those states. Um, it's, it's such an exciting moment for the pro-life movement that it's hard to, you don't want to get so excited and then uh, be proven wrong at the end of the day uh, when, 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 when it comes to this, because this is obviously not an official final statement on the topic. There's all kinds of thoughts swirling through my head. I'll just mention here very briefly that in Luke chapter one, when Zechariah and Elizabeth get pregnant with John the Baptist in their advanced age, we're told that the baby will be filled with the spirit from the womb. And we are told in Luke 1:41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's John, the baby in her womb, leaped. The baby leaped in her womb. And then verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Well, that word for baby is the same exact word uh, used for baby uh, later in the story of a child that has been born. And so the same Greek word baby is refer refers to a child outside the womb as refers to John the Baptist in the womb. And so clearly the Bible sees that a child who is yet unborn is a human being, can be filled with the Spirit in this more Old Testament prophet sort of sense. But still, that's a kind of human uh, filling with the Spirit. Um, and, and so clearly you see many evidences. Uh, Psalm 139, the Lord knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, Jeremiah, the Lord says, before you were born, I knew you. Uh, excuse me, before uh, you were... I. How does it go? Before you were born, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Something like that. Um, and Paul speaks about being set apart from his mother's womb. Uh, many different kinds of, of, of things speak about this. There's also an argument to be made that in Exodus 21, if two men are in a fight and they, they, uh, they accidentally punch a woman who's pregnant in the stomach and the baby is delivered, perhaps prematurely, um, and the baby uh, has some kind of physical damage, it says the, 
person who did this will be traded eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. And there's an argument, I think the stronger argument to be made grammatically is that that life is the baby's life. If the baby comes out maimed, then the, the man who hit the pregnant woman will have to pay in like manner, which is a strong evidence for the dignity and humanity of the unborn. And the idea that, that hurting, killing the unborn is a form of hurting or killing of a person, an innocent person. The big debate that's been going on uh, in regards to abortion, it used to be that um, politicians, let's be frank here, typically this is politicians from the Democratic Party, uh, would say things like Al Gore and, and Bill Clinton. I, I remember Al Gore saying around the year 2000 when he was running against George W. Bush, something along the lines of, I am personally against abortion, but I'm politically for it because I don't want to impose my views on someone else. Um, abortion needs to be safe legal and rare. Those were the kind of mantras we heard 25 years ago or so. It always struck me as interesting. If your position is that I am personally against abortion, but publicly and politically, I am open to pro-choice positions. I, I'm in favor of it politically. That is the most self-contradictory view I can imagine. It's like saying, uh, I personally would not want to fill in the blank but I would let other people do it. It just it just never made any sense to me. If you personally are against abortion, that means you personally believe it's the murdering, the killing of an unborn, innocent human being. I don't mean innocent in the sense that they are not fallen in an atom. I mean, they haven't committed a crime worthy of punishment. That's what I mean uh, in, in the legal sense. And so this innocent child is going to die, is going to be killed. And you think that that is murder, but yet you're okay with your neighbor doing it. That's just the most oxymoronic and self-contradictory position I can possibly imagine. But again, the, the, the political mantras were, I'm personally against it. I wouldn't do it, but I'm going to let other people make their own choice. And then it became safe, legal, and rare uh, is what we want. We want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. And then we started hearing uh, that evolve over time. And, and now it is not safe, legal, and rare. Now it is, it is seen as a religious right. It, it, abortion really is seen today as a religious sacrament in the same way that we view baptism and the Lord's Supper as ordinances from the Lord, these religious things that have been instituted by the Lord. Similarly, uh, as part of the religious movement of the sexual revolution today, abortion is seen as one of the sacred rites of the sexual revolution. And I don't have notes in front of me. I mean, I've got my Bible. I've got, I've got an iPad, but I don't really have a specific outline. I'm just going to sort of be just sort of openly speaking, kind of just following kind of random trains of thought here. But um, it is very interesting that today abortion is not just something that you're allowed to do, but you don't really talk about it. Now there's movements. Like remember a few years ago, hashtag shout your abortion where women are getting up and, and saying it out loud and, and, and publicly you had a famous actress uh, get up when she was winning, I think an Oscar a few years ago, I think she was in, uh, the, the, the great Gatsby movie, I think with Leonardo DiCaprio, it could be wrong, but she gets up and she says, uh, my right to choose is the reason why I have this. I'm holding this golden statue in my hand. The reason I got this Oscar is because I exercised my right to choose. In other words, I had to choose between the baby that was living with a heartbeat in my womb versus a career that might lead me to my true idol, my true God, this not golden calf, but this golden statue, this, this Oscar, this Academy Award. And she said, I chose my career. And I'm so glad I did. Uh, and and th this again, the, the abortion ethic is the exact opposite of the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus says, I will die so you may live. In the abortion movement, in the sexual revolution movement, it is you will die so that I may live.
the life I want to live. That that is that is at the center of the abortion movement. And I know I've been talking about them. Let me grab a book here. I've been talking about Carl Truman's excellent book, uh, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, uh, Cultural Amnesia, Expressive Individualism, and uh, the, how does it go? The Road to the Sexual Revolution. This is a pretty beefy book, a really excellent book on the topic. He just wrote the shorter version of the book that just came out called uh, Strange New World, subtitled How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution by uh, Carl Truman. This is a much more accessible, much shorter, a smaller, more accessible version. I, I've read most of this. I have not started this hardly yet, but I, I'm looking forward to hopefully reading that soon. But as Carl Truman gets at in this in these excellent books, Basically, what happened was in the 17, 1800s, the individual person became a self, became, became a self, and the self became um, psychologized. And the psychologized self became sexualized through Sigmund Freud and others. And the sexualized self, through this therapeutic movement, the sexualized self became politicized. And once the self became psychologized, and the psychology focused on the sexual, then the psychologized and sexualized self became a politicized unit, and the politicized unit uh, began thinking in terms of oppressors and oppressed, using Karl Marx's terminology, and now uh, we see that the sexualized, oppressed self becomes the perhaps the most important identity marker of today. And to be able to so-called express your sexual self and express your sexuality without having to deal with any kind of uh, encumbrances or any kind of hindrances is sort of the whole point of human existence right now in this modern sexual revolution with the rise and triumph of the modern self. And in the 1960s, so you have World War II in the 1940s, the World War II generation, the, you know, the greatest generation, as it has been called, which did which did wonderful good uh, against the Third Reich and all that. In the 1950s, they're raising children, the baby boomer generation, the baby boomer generation in the in the mid to late 1960s, um, during all kinds of things, Vietnam War going on, the assassination of JFK, the LBJ is now president. Then you have the 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 assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. and all these things are happening. The society is just just being shaken around much like it has been in the last few years, although I think the last few years have actually probably been maybe even worse than, than, than the late 60s. But in, in the late 60s, what you have is you have the, the sexual revolution really takes center stage and people are sleeping around at a radical rate compared to their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents uh, in a way that's just unheard of. Premarital sex is, is absolutely what's going on in, in an incredible kind of way. And so what happens? Well, Men sleep with women, and a lot of women get pregnant because that's what happens when people sleep together repeatedly over time. You have pregnancies. That's that's how God designed it. And when the pregnancies would happen, because there was no marriage, there was no covenant between these two, the man finds out the girl's pregnant, and he gets out of Dodge. He gets out of there. And so now the woman is left with a pregnancy, but no marriage, no husband, no support in that sense. And so what the logic was, this is not the logic people will tell you, but it's obvious that this is the logic that was really going on here. We wanted the right to have sex with no strings attached, but God made it so that sex has the strings attached of child, potential child being born. 
Sex is an act of reproduction that leads to, guess what? Reproducing. It leads to a child, leads to a baby. And because the husbands, the men were not being the men they should be, where they should not have sex with a girl, they should date a girl, marry a girl, you know, get become committed to a girl, lead the girl, provide for the girl, protect the girl, sleep with the girl, the, the husband and wife become pregnant, and then the husband stays and helps raise the children, support the family, protect the family. The wife nurtures and rears those children. That's the way God clearly designed it. It works so beautifully that way. But in the 60s with the sexual revolution, we wanted the pleasures of sex without the responsibilities of sex, and therefore men walked away from women they made pregnant, no strings attached, so-called, but the women were left with the pregnancy, and so the women basically were saying in the late 60s, if the man can sleep with me and have the pleasure of that and walk away and not have to deal with the baby, I should have, quote, equal rights. Just like I should be able to sleep with the man and have the pleasure of that, and I should also be able to walk away from the pregnancy with no strings attached. The difference is the man does not have a baby within his own body. The woman does. And therefore, the man can walk away just by literally walking away. But the woman can only walk away through an abortion. And therefore, in 1970, I believe it was 72, or was it 73, uh, Ro Roe v. Wade is passed in the Supreme Court. Abortion is legalized. Over the last 50 years, and it's been almost exactly 50 years at this moment uh, since Roe v. Wade became the law of the land, it, it, was, it was made legal across our country. Since then, uh, over 60 million unborn children have been legally killed in horrific ways through abortion. Over 60 million children. So if the 20th century was the bloodiest century in all of human history, which I, I think it was by several times, you had Hitler killing perhaps 10 million, Stalin, we don't know, 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, it's hard to even know how many millions Stalin was responsible for. You have uh, Mao and, and uh, other uh, horrific people, uh, is it Pol Pot? All, all these different ones who killed their own sets of millions and tens of millions of people in the 20th century. Well, we Americans who think we are so civilized, we have blood on our hands as a country, and the blood exceeds that of the Holocaust times six. It, it even appears to exceed the worst estimates of what Joseph Stalin was responsible for. But we have six Holocausts that we have legally been responsible for in our country. And uh, it, it is it is absolutely horrifying. So if the Supreme Court overturns Roe, and I, I don't want to get ahead of myself or get too excited about this, because I suppose it's still possible that will not happen. But if, if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, my goodness, do we have on our hands something that is absolutely astonishing. It, it is amazing to me the thought that God might pour out his common grace on our country in the greatest way imaginable. Again, this I don't mean saving grace, conversions. I mean common grace in terms of the overturning a law that allows systemic murder, which is abortion. The greatest justice issue in our society today is abortion, is the murder of the unborn. And to see that possibly overturned in my lifetime, in our lifetimes, uh, is God pouring out an unimaginable amount of common grace at the very moment when we least deserve it as a culture and as a society. At the very moment when we are running as far away from anything like uh, any kind of uh, biblically principled uh, way of living, and I'm not, I'm not saying 
that our country was Christian in the sense that we were all converted. But the, the idea that there were Christian, Judeo-Christian values that sort of laid foundations for how, what, how, what we believe as a country, at the very moment when we were most violently running from some of those in recent years, uh, we, we received this incredible common grace gift from God, which is absolutely, um, absolutely astonishing stuff. Now, to be clear, women who have had abortions, I, I know women who've had abortions. I've talked to a couple of women about that in the past. Um, I know someone who was born of rape and is now a Christian today. Uh, I, I know various different stories like this. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. It is, a, it is as serious as murder. It is murder. But it is not unforgivable. For women and for men who have encouraged their women to get abortions, the Lord uh, offers full and free forgiveness at the cost of Christ's blood, just like he does for all of our sin. And for those who repent and trust Christ, we can be uh, truly and eternally forgiven of the sin of abortion. It is not the unforgivable sin, but it is as serious a sin as any I can possibly uh, think of today. On Twitter today, I uh, I got to see a number of things. A man, I don't know anything about him. His name is Matt Dawson. He said, I am adopted. I'm the product of rape. Seeing Roe v. Wade being overturned in my lifetime is huge. Let me also say uh, something more directly here about uh, politics. Um, Abigail Dodds, who went to John Piper's seminary, I believe, a few years ago. She's super solid on gender roles. She's married. She's got children. Abigail Dodds, I recommend following her on, online. Uh, really solid voice today. She says, quote, Turns out the culture war is about actually rescuing the dying, both physically and spiritually. But we've known it. We've lived it, which is why we know that the unwillingness to fight is its own form of deadly rebellion. Here. I, may, I may not get back to that. Um, the culture war. It, it's become increasingly popular to speak about how uh, Christians should not be overly involved in this culture war today. This idea of trying to, quote, enforce Christian ethics and morality on people through the law. And we, we want to be careful here. Obviously, um, Andrew T. Walker has written a really helpful article distinguishing some things on this topic. We don't want to confuse the category of sin in the category of crime. All, well, not all crimes are sins. In North Korea, it is a crime to worship Jesus alone as Savior and to love your Bible. I'm sure that would be illegal in North Korea, but it is not a sin. And not all uh, sins are or should be crimes. So, for instance, um, internal feelings and desires can be absolutely sinful but they cannot become illegal. How would you even enforce that? So if someone is, is worshiping an idol in their heart, they're worshiping money, uh, you cannot make that illegal in our society. But if someone is worshiping money in such a way that they steal, that should be made illegal. If, they're, if, they're, if their idolatry of money and their greed turns into theft, lying, deceit, bribery, robbery, all these kinds of things, that then then that becomes a criminal act at that point. And um, a lot of people want to say, well, listen, we shouldn't be enforcing uh, certain things on people. Well, well, listen, every law 
has a moral compass to it. Every law has some kind of morality, some kind of worldview attached to it, and we need to be thinking how we can best promote the protection of the innocent in this world. Obviously, the most dire, urgent need of protecting the innocent in our culture today is non-questionably the issue of abortion. If you can see this image here, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, abortion will instantly become illegal in the red states. And Georgia, you can see, is not included. Hopefully, Georgia will be included in that shortly. But those red states, instantly, abortion becomes illegal overnight if Roe v. Wade is overturned. And then there's a battle that begins at the state level uh, for the states that are not colored red in this picture. As you as you obviously know, the transgender movement and the feminist movement have butted up against each other big time because the feminist movement tends to make assumptions that biological women are women, and the transgender movement obviously denies that, saying that uh, biological men can become women. And so you'll hear people think, say things today like, um, men can have babies. And um, of course, then when, a moment, when, when Roe v. Wade comes up in conversation, everyone starts saying on the, on the left side of the aisle, everyone starts saying, well, this is only an issue that women need to talk about. Men are not allowed to have, to have a conversation here. If you cannot have, if you cannot, uh, if you don't have a womb, you don't have a right to speak here. It's like, well, wait a second. I thought men can, men can have babies. So the transgender movement and the feminist movement are going to have a hard time getting along when these kinds of things come up. Just some quotes from today. One writer said, my body, my choice. These are things the unborn cannot say. One uh, professor or one Christian speaker, radio host says, May future generations look at Roe v. Wade the same way we look at the Dred Scott decision today, which, if, I, if I'm correct here, Dred Scott is when um, uh, African-Americans were, were not granted full rights of citizenship in our country, uh, which is absolutely despicable. And we look back on that with absolute horror. Well, hopefully one day we'll look back on Roe v. Wade with the same kind of, uh, of horror. So we definitely need to pray for the Supreme Court as this decision goes through. Pray that this is actually true, that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned. And um, I think that's all I've got. So thank you for watching.